and welcome to the Freewheeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey, and we are here to talk about stage four of the Tour de France Femme avec Zwift. Zwift is also the partner of this episode. Thank you so much to Zwift for supporting the Freewheeling Podcast. It's If you've listened to any episodes, you know that I am absolutely obsessed with Zwift. Um, my favorite thing about it is that it's super efficient. I don't need to stress about what the weather is outside. I don't need to worry about how much clothes I'm going to wear. Um, I can just throw on the same thing every single day, hop on there. And because you're riding the trainer, you're getting a very, very effective workout in a super short amount of time. Plus Zwift has a bunch of built in workouts on the platform. So you can go on there, select something that you want to do that day. It sets the power on the screen for you. So it's super easy to follow along. They even have p- workout plans set out by professional coaches and even former athletes on there. So you can work on your fitness with the professionals every single day, although rest days are key. So definitely do that. So thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode and for s- supporting freewheeling. And most of all, for bringing us the Tour de France Femme avec Zwift. Once again today, Lauren and I watched the final kilometers of the race. We're joined by Kaylee Fretz and Amy Lauren Jones and Matt Denise are on the ground. So basically, as soon as we we had a few riders up the road, notable, notable performance by the St. Heels, the smaller French team rider. Um, what was her name? I'm just looking at Dem- Demay. Um, she managed to hang on to a lead until about 38 kilometers to go. So with the, with the Peloton, it basically split apart on the first gravel section and we found ourselves with a very select group of about 25 to 30 riders, which then split again on the third gravel section. We had a select group of about 12 to 15, including all the GC contenders and then a couple of riders like Ruby Roseman Gannon who had made that split. And then I guess the talking point now as we're looking at the screen with three kilometres to go is that Marlon Rusa put in a huge move um, with 23 kilometres to go and absolutely no one reacted, um, which is surprising considering, you know, she's a silver medalist in the Olympic time trials and the world championship and she's done this before, right? Like this is a rider you just don't let go. You you get on the front, you drill it, you get Ellen Van Dyke to the front. This is how she almost won uh, or she won the first stage of the Sarah Tizit challenge. She just basically rode away. Um, and it's awesome to see SD Works giving her this freedom because obviously she's been, she had a really good spring, but she wasn't, she was always in early, early moves and she was never in the moves late in the race when she could have actually gone for the win. So this is, I mean, at this point she's got it. She's got a minute, 14, minute 17, 16 seconds on a group of three chasing behind with Alina Amialusic, Veronica yours, who is our, uh, audio, one of our audio diarists. So that's very exciting. Also, she gets me all of her audio diaries uh, promptly, so I'm a big fan of her. (laughs) I guess it's what's notable to mention or worth mentioning is the fact that once this group sort of came back together and we had a group of 25 to 30, all the big teams had 
roughly four riders each, right? So there was enough firepower there to, to potentially bring this back. And when a rider like Rusa goes, you have to react on immediately. You can't give her too much room, anything more than I would say 10 to 15 seconds. Um, if you don't get organized, then it's just devastating. Um, and Canyon Tram were one of the only team that were trying to do something like you mentioned, Abby on the chat, probably perhaps trying to motivate and get everyone organized would have been the better tactic than constantly attacking. But now we're in a situation where, you know, Russo is one kilometer to go. The win is in the bag unless something devastating happens. And, um, What's left is, I guess, Mariana Voss will stay in the yellow. I'm disappointed with how um, how not uh, like I thought the race would implode in this stage with the gravel. But when when the stage is over, we can talk about some of the things that happened during the stage. But yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised that we have such a big group chasing. Um, a minute thirty down, we have a huge group of people chasing. Um, and I didn't expect to see that many still in the race. Also, we have Kaylee Fretz here. Kaylee's <laughs> first time on freewheeling. Uh, yep. And my little daughter, who is probably who you just heard before me. She, she's looking really uncertain right now. <laughs> she, I'm the she, only one that's childless right now. Harry's I, he's at grandma's house. I don't know if she's oh, not wow. a Marlon Rooster fan or I don't know what the issue is, but. She's looking very concerned. I think she's also disappointed that when Anami Van Vluten was dropped, nobody drilled it. <laughs> Which is something we're going to have to talk about. I think she can't quite believe it now. This this is a beautiful win. You know, we were picking this rider uh, at Paris-Roubaix, several different races. We really wanted to see her get up there for a huge win. So to take a stage of the Tour de France femme avec Swift is, is such a big deal and you know, it's not often that these workers get these opportunities and in, I would say, the biggest stage race for women. Oh, man, I've got goosebumps watching her ride into the line. I mean, again, it's another um, unexpected winner for us with a really exciting finish and an awesome move. She timed it so perfectly because it was right when the race was kind of splitting apart and, uh, and everybody was hesitating. Everyone hesitated over the, that climb. And she took that as an opportunity to, to go. And she made the most of that moment. Do we think that maybe some of the, some of the, some of the sort of bigger name riders are already thinking ahead to the later in the week. I mean, Rooster's not a GC threat. She was what, four and a half minutes down before the stage even started. So let her go save some energy for what's coming. I mean, I'm trying to figure out why she was let go. Great point. But I would say, you know, if, if these teams like are realistic, how many, I mean, okay. Anamik from what we've seen yesterday and based on her comments to the media, she's not feeling great. So maybe, yeah, maybe teams are thinking, wow, we maybe have an actual shot at this GC. But before I would have said, you know, Cassie has been very vocal that she's going for stage wins. Um, so, yeah. And Voss leading across the line. I don't know if we're all watching at the same time here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's slight delays. So Voss stays in yellow, which I think everyone is really happy about. Um, I love Voss in yellow. She can, yeah, she can she hold can on stay. to that as long as she wants. I mean, she'll probably hold on to it now for the next two stages because stage five... I think looks a lot like a breakaway day, a great day for a breakaway. And stage six is, it's a hilly day, but it's not like a, it's not a hilly day that's going to scare Voss. 
Yeah, I mean, based on the way that she's been climbing so far through the tour, um, I think one of the commentators on GCN was saying, could we see a Voss of, you know, 10, 8 to 10 years ago that won the Giro? You know what's um, super interesting um, is that this is the first SD Works rider to win at the Tour de France Femme of Zwift, and I don't think that we... If you'd say, oh, yeah, there will be an SD Works rider who will win within the first four days, like one of the first four stages, we never would say, oh, yeah, it'll probably be Russo. We would say it would be Demi, we would maybe Chantal, but we wouldn't pick her, which maybe we're as naive as the rest of the peloton. Yeah, well, I guess Russo, we just haven't seen that much of her lately, so maybe that's why we haven't really thought of her as a rider to take a stage and again going back to that general role that she has within the team to do a lot of work and before she she made this move she was doing a lot of work for the team so um a great, great ride to see. by Avita Music to get in that three person move that she she also had some really bad luck on stage uh too she went down in one of those crashes and she's their their young a uh, young leader, basically, they're priming her to be the future. So she was the French national champion last year. She had some really awesome results, um, including that final stage of the Giordana in 2020. So what do we think about the gravel? Kaylee, our resident gravel expert, the reason we pulled you in, you're the king of Grode. Should we start with the comment from Iris Slappendale from the motorbike? Did you catch that, Kaylee? Uh, I did not. On the commentary. Um, so they've been crossing over to Iris. It's been great to have her insight from actually within the race. Iris was stuck behind um, the main group the whole day because of the barrage. And she said being amongst the riders not in the front group, her belief is that gravel does not belong in such a stage race. So what do we think about that? I mean, it's not too far off of the debate around, around the cobble stage in the men's race, right? Uh, it's a, it's a question of whether you want too many factors outside sort of the immediate control of the athlete to, to impact the overall. I tend to find fall on the other side. I tend to think that, that, you know, if you want sort of well-rounded winners that throwing a couple random things at them like this is not the worst thing in the world. I mean, gravel is probably less likely to be honest, to, to, to throw up, uh, that kind of, you know, punctures and things like that that are just completely unavoidable. And it's more probably about bike handling skills than even maybe the cobbles are. Um, I mean, the cobbles are just, you just smash over them and hope, basically. Uh, whereas, you know, there's a bunch of like cornering on gravel and trying to put power down on gravel. It can almost be more difficult. Um, ah, I, 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 I like stuff like that. I like, I like having interesting stages uh, that throw something completely different and new at the riders. It's a bummer when you see it impact the race negatively. Like if you if it turns the race to negative racing, I think that's when it's when it's really unfortunate. But I mean, I didn't see any of that happening today. It, it seemed to just sort of explode everything. And, and oh, got a baby move, baby on the move. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, that's just a personal opinion. I like it. I like the the I like the dynamic that it adds to these races. Would you argue that if you're riding at this level, men or women, you should actually have the level of skills to sort of ride on this terrain? I mean, I think so. <laughs> but it's, al it's yeah. also, 
it is a completely different thing than they do the rest of the year, right? If they're, I, I, I guess that's not really true. I mean, there's, it's not that far off of Strada Bianchi or, or a number of other places where we've had gravel stages before. Um, that that infamous Giro stage where people were getting off and walking because it was too loose. Uh, that was maybe a bit much <laughs> if you're getting off and walking because it's too <laughs> loose. But it's not like the first thing, the first time this has ever happened. Uh, and the bikes are a lot more capable than, than they used to be. I mean, all, all these riders, they're probably, they probably didn't even really change any technology today, but they could have, if they wanted to, right. You could run a, you could run a bigger tire if you wanted to, um, the bikes are perfectly capable of handling this kind of stuff. And so I think at that point, it just, it's just adds an extra layer, right. It's just, uh, if you sort of peel back the onion a little bit, you could make the same argument like, oh, well, I'm thinking to like really early tours de France when, they first added mountains to the tour. And there was a whole big debate over whether mountains belonged in the Tour de France because they added this whole new different dynamic. And obviously now that seems really silly. Uh, but I think, you know, you can kind of look at this in the same way where it's just a different skill set, a new skill set. And if you want to test riders in, in every possible way, then I think that these stages belong. You just got to be careful about exactly what that surface looks like, I think. Yeah, exactly. And a, a comment that, or a discussion that Abby was having with um, one of the other freewheeling podcasters, Tilda, was about the difference between having set a gravel stage now where it's summer, it's dry. We haven't had much rain in Europe the past month, opposed to the, the damper sort of spring weather where it's more compact. Um, it's like having Strada Bianchi in the spring versus when we had Strada Bianchi in july or august and it was treacherous because it was so dry and the roads were so um yeah loose and dusty same also with having the perry roubaix stage in the tour de france sorry about my baby having the perry roubaix stage in the tour de france versus having perry roubaix in the spring yeah like i said i think they just have to be careful and, and make sure that the surface is usable you know like I don't know what that would really take making sure that you, I'm sure that they drive over it in the days prior and things like that. And I mean, heck they were talking about dumping 10,000 liters of water on the roads earlier this month to make sure that they didn't melt. Right. Which ended up not actually happening, but like, I don't know, go wet the gravel roads. <laughs> like you could do the same thing. It's the sectors aren't that long. You just, you know, sort of dampen the nastiest bits. And I think that would, that would work. Cause you do, you want them to actually be able to race. You don't want survival. You want racing. And that's where the sort of line needs to be drawn and, and where the organizers just need to be on, on top of it and make sure that they're, that they're paying attention. Well, from what we could see, um, on the TV, obviously the T the cameras were only focusing on those front groups. So we saw about 30 to 35 riders and everything looked really safe to me. Um, there were no big collisions or anything like that, but I'm guessing behind this main peloton, whatever was happening, is perhaps reason for for Iris's comments as to why she thinks it doesn't belong. But um, you know, a lot of those gravel sections were uphill, so yeah, racing uphill on a gravel section is, of course, going to split the bunch too. It's all about positioning, like what we see in the Cobble Classics. Um, and from the team's perspective, they just have to have as many people as possible out on those sections in case there's punctures. And this is something we can talk about now is the fact that the main GC contender, uh, Annemiek van Vluden, got distanced because of a puncture, I believe. Um, and this is at the point when Roos was off the front and that group, I'll say chasing, but they weren't chasing. 
um, had an opportunity to put more time into her, but they didn't. And she got back. Yeah, this was the the main tactical thing that happened during the day that honestly, I'm not going to lie. I'm just kind of disappointed um, that people didn't take advantage of this because I agree with Kaylee. I feel like there's a fine line between what you should include, but I liked today's stage. I think today's stage totally, um, totally should be in the race. And it gives the, an advantage to riders like Cash and Iwadoma, for example, who will struggle on the mountain climbs coming up on stage seven. So someone like that can capitalize on a stage like this in the general classification. So I, I think 100% throw it in as long as it's not dangerous. We don't want to endanger the riders. Um, but yeah, we had a bunch of the top riders have mechanical say Sile had a, had a puncture. And, uh, I think that her team did an awesome job getting her back in, um, really quickly. Kasha had a puncture. She got in really quickly as well. She was in a, a, the second group on the road at one point, but they did merge, I think just cause the first group wasn't going all out. And then on had a mechanical in the last section and, um, we can really d- dig into the tactics happening in front because there was a group of general classification favorites without on and they all sat up and looked at each other, which is when Marlon Russo went, but I don't understand why you wouldn't just get to the front and drill it. So we had, to me, this is what I saw two different teams with multiple riders. We had Canyon Stram had three riders in there. One of them being Kasha, one of them being Elena Amialusik. And instead of the two riders in there going to the front and driving the pace, Amia Lusik attacked. So she was off the front behind Marlon Musa. Like she wasn't off the front solo. She was chasing. And then we had another team that had Ellen Van Dyke, who's basically two riders, um, waiting for Elisa Longaborghini, who was dropped on that gravel section as well. As soon as Ellen and Elisa got back into the group, Ellen just went to the front and just she went straight through the bunch to the front to keep the pace high because Anamik was dropped. So at that point, like if you look at the two different teams, both of them have GC favorites in the race who are not going to be able to contest on those big mountain climbs. They tactically approached Anamik being dropped two very different ways. One of them was wrong and one of them was right. And in the end of the day, at the end of the day, they both lost because Anamik got back in that group. I mean, I think the other argument for stages like this is the presence of Anamik Van right? Like, if you don't throw some randomness in the first six, seven stages of this, and it's just a power test up the planche, it feels a bit of a foregone conclusion, uh, at least based on the on the last on the last couple months, uh, last couple of years, last decade. Uh, and, and so, you know, that, that, that is an argument. Like when you have, when you have dominance like that, uh, in that particular arena, throwing something well outside the comfort zone, I think adds to the, to the bike race as sort of, as sort of, I don't know, as ridiculous as that is, as to, as to like focus it on one rider like that. It, it, it's also, I think kind of a reality. But the, the, all the focus is on one rider right now. Everybody, every single preview that, um, the, the only preview that matters on cyclingtips.com, like uh, Annemiek Van Vluten is the number one favorite to win this race. She didn't ride away with the win at the Giro, but she did. I mean, it was closer than it's been before. So we see, we're like, oh, there's hope. But she still won it by almost two minutes. Like it's, she's 
head and shoulders above everyone else when it comes to climbing. The only people who can contest with her on climbs are now out of the race. I mean, Mavi Garcia, obviously out after stage two and uh, sorry, (laughs) Marta Cavalli out after stage two. Mavi Garcia had a brutal day today with multiple mechanicals and then a collision with her team car. Yeah, that, that, the that team was car crazy. was bad. That was bad scenes. That was, yeah, that was... That was somebody not paying not attention. Good. And it was yep. not Mavi. I mean, it's yeah. a good thing that they started paying attention after they hit her because she fell on the ground in front of the car. But that was terrifying to watch. Like, well, poor and, Mavi. And she had that collision with... Uh, it was one of the bike exchange riders a little bit earlier than that, too. Alex Manley. Yeah. Um, yep. Which was, I don't yep. think, really anybody's fault at that point. That was just kind of chaos of gravel and things like that. But... Still, rough day for her. Yeah, and I mean, after how we saw the way she was climbing in the Giro, we thought that she could potentially have a really good performance here. Um, but again, the, the discussion point is, and I, we're not going to know until we reach stage seven, is how good is Anamik actually going to be on that stage? And worth mentioning um, in the preview that was written by Cycling Tips is that we had said multiple times before that the race perhaps wouldn't be won in these stages, but it would definitely be lost leading up to stage seven and eight. And that is exactly what we have seen. We have, of course, our rider diaries from on the ground. We've got Audrey Cordon Margot, who checked in before the stage. She said her legs were were really feeling it a little bit. And the, she's in a picturesque small town in France. And you can hear the birds chirping in the background. And then we've got Veronica Ewers, who had an incredible ride today to finish fourth, um, just in front of, just at the back of that group of three in front of Mariana Voss, who brought in the rest. And then we've probably not got Ruby Roseman Gannon, but Lauren will message her. Well, she's in eighth, so it would be great to to get her. I will do my best. Her I, once again, Sylvia Persico with just an incredible ride, like. Yeah, she's so impressed with her in this race. It was really fun to see at one point the cross riders um, lined up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, happy. Oh, today is, it's uh, the hardest morning so far from the beginning. I feel super tired. It's like two nights. I'm not sleeping really well. Uh, woke up by the the birds and the church uh, ringing. As in the tour, we are mostly in really small um, countryside hotels. It's nice in one side because it's not too busy and the food is super nice, even if we have our chef. I think it's nice that the food is nice for the staff. But uh, yeah, you are in the middle of small villages, (laughs) often close to the church and it's, uh, it's really noisy. But by the way, I feel my legs even when I'm seated. Um, So I'm not sure it's a good news for today's stage. Um, But well, we're going to go again for it. And uh, I think we have a good chance today again. So let's do it. Yeah, very sad to confirm this. Still no green handlebar tape for Lorena today. Yes, and I was... Very disappointed when I saw that on the start line, but I mean, we give it one more try for tomorrow. There's still a chance. No, because now... Oh, actually... she lost it! No! <laughs> yeah, maybe she will just wear it because Marianne has it. 
Oh yeah, but then she will probably not get the green bar tape when she's not no. having the real no. dressing. Oh well. Moment gone. Well, gravel day. <laughs> we were trying to go for an early breakaway, but also other people were trying to go for it. I ended up in a really, really big one, but... It was actually too big. It was like 20, 30 riders. Yeah, Movistar were not happy with it, so they chased us down. And then <laughs> the gravel was not my real problem. The climbs before the gravel was my problem. That's where I got the boot out the back. Yeah, same for me as well. <laughs> it was so hard. And also, after I got dropped, Julie passed me, but she was going too fast on the gravel. I tried to make her stop so I could follow her wheel, but yeah, it was just super hard. Yeah, so pretty tough day. Got away. I got a puncture as well. I think it was quite normal. It was some interesting gravel it was like a mix of gravel and a little rock road <laughs> so yeah that's the update from here pretty poor aircon also at this hotel so maybe we will have to use Anna daughter's fan fan that she brought from home but for now we're trying with her method of just cranking the aircon on making it super cold and then we go from there hey abby coming to you after stage four today um a, separate from it or on the opposite end of yesterday luck was on my side today um and managed a fourth uh at today's stage which was pretty awesome i mean um obviously i'd want more than fourth but you know that was that was it for today um so i'm pretty excited um the team did awesome, um, had a little bit of uh, misfortune within the team um, on the gravel sections, um, but otherwise everybody rode really strongly. Um, yeah, we rode, my team specifically rode on um, 30 millimeter Vittoria tires, um, which was so awesome. Um, I am not super experienced on gravel and so um, those tires were actually so perfect for those gravel sections. I felt pretty comfortable and confident um, maneuvering in that. Um, yeah, the gravel sections were pretty gnarly. Um, there's some embedded rock and then there were larger stones. So it was pretty rough um, at some points, um, but yeah, I was toward the front in the gravel sections, so I think that was uh, clearly really beneficial. Um, I, I know that there were crashes and um, punctures um, throughout the gravel sections, um, which, yeah, it was pretty wild. Um, there was definitely a moment I was behind um, several people and it was so dusty, you could barely see anything in front of you. Um, so really, really fun experience um and i mean going up the climbs today going right into the gravel sections there were so many people and it was so incredible um yeah it's just 
absolutely amazing how many people are coming out to these races and supporting. I mean, in the start town of Troyes, um, there were so many people and um, I was um, lined up at the start behind um, Mariana Voss and Cecily. Um, so I was uh, eavesdropping a little bit um, and they were talking about how, you know, it seems like more and more each day there are more people coming out. And my DS before the race today told us that there were almost more viewers than there were for the men's tour de France this year um, for yesterday's stage. So it's pretty amazing how many people are coming out and watching and viewing everything that is being streamed. So clearly people want to watch because they keep coming back and bringing their friends. So it's so amazing. And I cannot thank all of the people that have shown support directly to me and to my team and to women cycling in general. Um, it's just been so absolutely amazing um, with all of the people that are coming out. Um, and also just watching um, through streaming. So yeah, um, that was uh, stage four today. And uh, yeah, stage five tomorrow is the longest stage that we have at about 174K. Um, pretty straight line. <laughs> and I heard that it's a headwind, so that'll be fun. <laughs> um, yeah. We'll see how it goes. Um, looking forward to the mountain stages. Um, and yeah, that area is just absolutely beautiful. Though today we were able to go through some amazing vineyards and uh, sunflowers. <laughs> um, but yeah, hoping uh, everybody can recover. And as we, yeah, as we go into the second half of the tour, pretty exciting. And then we've got Matt and Amy on the ground. So let's really quickly hear from Jose Bain on some history, some fun facts, some cheese uh, for tomorrow's stage. And then you'll be with Matt and Amy and they will tell you how their day is going. Thanks for joining us. Today's the longest stage in the history of women's cycling. In almost uniquely eastern direction, the Tour de France peloton rides 175.6 kilometers. And they will sure need some extra food for this day on the bike, so why not have breakfast with toast and a bit of jam? Baladuc is home to world-famous red currant jam and preserves. The earliest known mention of Baladuc jam was in 1344 in a legal document. In this period of time, it was a widespread custom among the nobility and bourgeoisie to send jars of this jam as a thank you present to judges when they had won a case. Talk about a bribe. Until the French Revolution, there were hundreds of jam makers in Bar-le-Duc, producing up to 100,000 kilos of the jam every year. And there were some famous fans. Mary, Queen of Scots, and who, though briefly, was Queen of France too in the 1500s, loved the jam. Her mother was born in Bach, so she knew it from her younger years. She said the jam was like a ray of sun in a crystal jar. Well, indeed. The weather in Bar-le-Duc is as sunny as that of Marbella when compared to the Scottish Highlands. With the beheading of the social order, sometimes quite literally, the market for those expensive products collapsed overnight. 
but it's still produced and sold to this day in Bar-le-Duc. One of the most expensive ones is red currant jam. Normally, you can't make red currant jam without including the, to many people, unappetizing seeds. Extracting the juice to make a jelly is a pretty simple process, but a jam contains the skin and flesh of the fruit. Sometime in the 14th century, local monks had the idea of removing the seeds of red currants before making the jam, one by one, with a goose quill. Well, that makes this a very labor-intensive jam. A manufacturer called Maison Dutrier is one of the last ones to do it by hand. The sharp tip of the quill pierces the red currant and grabs the seeds. And depending on the currant, you may have between six or 20 seeds to remove. He employs so-called épipineuses, seed removers, who work at home during three weeks in June every year. And they get paid by the weight of seedless red currants they bring back. Each batch of jam is cooked with the fruits from one épipineuse only. So Monsieur Dutrier can tell her the next day how many seeds exactly she missed. An experienced épipineuse can do one kilo of de-seeded fruits in three hours, whereas a student a student will struggle to make half of that in a whole day. According to Monsieur Dutrier, the jam he makes doesn't perish and is a gift fit for a queen. A jar of 100 grams costs you around at 20 euro. The Maison Dutrier produces around 500 kilograms of this delicacy every year, so dig in before it's too late. Maybe the winner of today's stage gets a gift basket with local goodies. We're coming at you not from a Renault Clio <laughs> or a not particularly appealing square. This time we're coming to you from a McDonald's. It's such glamour on the Tour de France, isn't it? <laughs> Is it Maccas or Mackies? Because I think in the Mackers. UK... Maccas. Maccas. We've seen yeah. Mackies in the UK. but really? I've just Yeah, I've just assimilated and started calling it Maccas for you. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it's not the uh, the most luxurious or beautiful place we've ever podcasted from, but um, we're definitely getting funny looks. Yeah, that will having continue, a microphone sure. out in a McDonald's for sure. But we are right next to the finish, so that's our justification for doing it here. Um, for the mems, but it's all been packed up and taken away by now. But that's right. Just to set the scene, we're just looking outside the window, pretending all the buses and everything's still there. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite a day today, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was pretty dramatic again, mm. although not as much as we expected it to be. Mm. Yeah, so we were expecting this big GC shake-up uh, on the gravel on the four sectors today. And really, we didn't get that. We saw a bunch of the GC contenders have issues, but uh, it was only really Marvi Garcia who got caught out. So she had a shocking day. I don't know if you saw all of her mishaps today, but she had two punctures, the second of which uh, she was getting a spare bike from Erica Manaldi and reached across the road to get the bike off her. And Alex Manley from Bike Exchange was coming through and they ended up colliding. And uh, yeah, it was a pretty ugly moment. And then a few Ks down the road, Marvi Garcia got hit by her team car and, and clattered to the ground and ended up... Yeah, it was a horrible moment as well, and then she ended up losing more than three minutes on the stage. So, horrible day for her. Yeah. It seems like every team is going to have, like, some 
terrible day this tour or something like it seems that every single day there's a new team with a problem but yeah the other GCU riders that kind of came up against it like Mm. we saw Cecilia Chuck Ludwig have a mechanical but they dealt with that really really well Vittoria Guazzini gave her a wheel and she was on her way Um, I saw her come in actually Vittoria she was she was with a group that was about 15 minutes down but she just looked pretty happy like I think to have helped her leader um there's actually a few riders that had similar things like that. So um, Lisa Longo Borghini had a similar situation. She had a puncture late, but she had a bunch of teammates around her. Um, she had... Including Balsamo. She yeah, finished exactly. on her bike. Yeah, so yeah. Balsamo gave her her bike, so she was able to keep going. Then Sharon Van Anroy helped her, helped pace her back to the bunch, but then she had a double flat, punctured both wheels, so she had to pull off. So then Ellen Van Dyke had to come back to help pace her back. Um, in the end, um, Elisa didn't end up losing any time to her GC rivals, but it was just a testament to how important that, that team support is. And then I guess the, the big one in terms of GF- GC uh, was Annemiek van Vluten, who you know, we she spoke about yesterday. Yeah, she had a puncture lay as well, and, and she too had a te- uh, teammate to help her get through. So Emma Norsgaard was there, gave her her bike and allowed Annemiek to get through the finish without losing any time. So... Yeah, and, and Cassini Wadoma also had a puncture. So there was a bunch of the GC favourites had punctures, but they all managed to get back to the, the main group there and get through pretty unscathed, really. Yeah, Garcia's the only one who's really had any significant time loss after today, and the top five on GC are still the same. So really, we've kind of got not many more opportunities for people to gain a whole lot of time over the next few days before we get to the mountains. Yeah, it's a pretty flat stage tomorrow and then uh, a kind of lumpier one on stage six. But yeah, it'll all be about stage seven, stage eight. Just looking at the GC now, the top 10 overall are all within two and a half minutes of each other. So two minutes and 20 seconds. So that's pretty close, particularly with two big mountain stages at the end of the race that could get a real shake up. And we know that at least Voss is going to be dropping out of that top 10. I'm not sure I'm about Persico. I'm interested to see how Persico <laughs> goes because she's actually ridden really, like, she's just ridden really well over the last few stages. She's, like, handled all the stuff that's been thrown at everybody else. Like, she's, yeah, I think she can climb pretty well. I don't know if she can climb on the same level as, like, Anamik and Cassia and Mormon Passio and Volerin and all of those, but yeah. She's definitely been one of the, not the surprise riders, but one of the standout riders that maybe we didn't quite expect to shine so far. So as you say, it'd be interesting to see how she goes when the road heads up in a few days' time. Another big talking point today, particularly in the uh, post-race press conferences, was about whether gravel even belongs in the Tour de France um, yeah because it was pretty rough actually it was it wasn't it wasn't like Strada Bianchi gravel it a lot of people were saying it was actually well you could see from the footage in the on the TV coverage like massive like chunky like rocks and like rutted bits of tarmac and it mm, soft sandy bits as well where riders are slipping around yeah it definitely it definitely wasn't anything straightforward. I think we were sort of lucky that we didn't see huge changes in the GC, really. Um, 
and there were definitely riders that had bad days out there. But in terms of the the GC, it would have been a real shame to see somebody's race end or slip out of contention because of a puncture. You know. Yeah, that's the thing, and I think that's why there's why riders are saying kind of. Not that gravel doesn't have a place in the sport, simply that it doesn't really have a place in stage racing necessarily because of the way that it does just leave everything up to chance a little bit and it can kind of ruin the GC competition and make it so that somebody loses a lot of time when, if it was a closer competition later on in the race, we would have seen, you know, better fights for GC. Like, obviously, Garcia is the only one that's really lost time, but she'll like yeah i don't know that it, it can go one way or the other because it is also like at the end of the day it's entertaining as well to watch it all like unfold like you know we were pretty gripped by it watching in the press room and as much as it's obviously rubbish for the riders if that's you know if they come a cropper on the gravel and their gc race is over it's kind of yeah losing a little bit of time and having to make it up like you know i'm kind of interested to see whether garcia tries to kind of come back at all from that like she kind of had a rubbish tail end to the Giro as well so maybe she'll want a bit of redemption but yeah it's certainly I've heard a few people I mean Annemiek Van Vluten was pretty vocal in saying that gravel doesn't really have a place um, in the stage races in stage races and she's like the two time winner of Strada Bianchi and, and she did actually win the, the gravel stage in the Giro two years ago so um yeah, someone else that was also kind of saying the same thing as, as Annemiek was Irish Slappendel, who everyone will know from, well, being an amazing rider back in the day, <laughs> founding the Cyclist Alliance, which we all love, and um, being on the back of the motorbike at this race. And I saw her after the stage today, and she was covered in dust. <laughs> I think she was pretty, like, startled by all still. Like, she was... <laughs> just coming round like she'd literally just stepped off the motorbike and yeah she she also said along the same lines as Annemiek that it she actually told me it was worse than Roubaix because she was on the back of the motorbike for Roubaix and she told me it was worse than Roubaix so yeah. that paints quite a vivid picture of what it was like out there yeah I think we're going to hear from Miras now how was your day? <laughs> Dusty. I didn't see anything because it could only see like five meter in front of me or ten. No, it was a really crazy day. It was, uh, yeah, it was just carnage behind the peloton and in the peloton, I guess as well. Yeah. Yeah, and you said like you just set off the mic. You don't think this has really got much of a place in racing? Well, maybe not in a in a Tour de France because I think. Yeah, maybe we're sort of lucky that we only lost Garcia for the GC, but it could have been much worse, I think, uh, because this gravel was, yeah, maybe on a gravel bike or a mountain bike it was fun, but on a race bike it's, I think it's just a little bit too much and it becomes a bit too much of a lottery and depending on which cars are in, 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 the, in the front of the caravan and, yeah, you know, the, the resources the teams have to put people on the side of the road. Um, so, yeah, I think it could have been a little bit worse, but uh, yeah, I mean, sure, sure, it was really attractive and 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 uh, exciting and 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 on the on the edge edge of your seat all day. But 
on the other hand, I think it's a little bit over the top. Yeah, for the spectators it's great, for the riders maybe not so much. Yeah, especially on in a stage a stage race, like if it's Roubaix or if it's like Strade Bianchi and it's a one-day race, it's I think different. But for me, being on the motor, I think uh, Roubaix felt like a walk in the park compared to today's <laughs> wow, stage. Really, really. really. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And um. Apart from today, how's it been like being on the bike, watching, the, being at the race? Like, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. I, it's really, yeah, it's really cool actually and I see a lot of the race and I, I, every time I choose to be behind a bunch, uh, sometimes behind the brake, but uh, you see quite a lot. Um, yeah, you can chat a bit with the DSs in the in the in the in the, in the caravan, and uh, yeah, I mean it's also great to see the courses are yeah maybe except for today, but <laughs> in a different way today. But uh, every day the courses are really nice. Uh, a lot of spectators along the road at start and finish. So yeah, it feels really special, and, and I'm I'm actually pretty grateful that I have this opportunity from uh, from Discovery and and Eurosport. Uh, to be here and to uh, yeah to tell a bit little bit more from inside the or yeah just behind the peloton so we heard from mariana voss as well uh, this afternoon in her yellow jersey wearers press conference and she was asked about whether she thought the gravel stage had a place in the tour de france and I think her line was quite interesting. She was just saying that it really depends on who you are and how it unfolds for you. You know, for the riders that it uh, it goes well for, they'll say that it was great, you know, that it was fine, that it should be included. For the riders that it didn't go so well for, you know, it's, it's not the right thing to be including in the race. And I think that just kind of highlights how, um, how much of a lottery it can be, you know. If everything goes right for you, great. If not, you know, that's... Not an ideal outcome for sure, and particularly if it's something that's out of your control rather than just, you know, a bad decision or something like that. Even if you're a great cross rider, which we saw like a lot of the Planta Pura riders and other, mm. like, you know, Shirin Van Amroy double puncture, you can't account for that. Like, no skill can kind of save you from that, really. So, yeah, she's totally right, I think. It is subjective in terms of like how the day went for you. Yeah. I think we'll keep seeing gravel in these races, though. I mean, there are definitely downsides, as people have pointed out. But the entertainment factor, I think, is such a big part of it. And, you know, in the quest to get people watching bike racing and watching the Tour de France Femme, I think, you know, we've been talking about it all week. You know, a lot of people, as soon as the, r the route came out for this race, there was talk about the gravel stage. You know, it builds excitement, it builds interest. And... Yeah, it's not going to be to the likes of, of some people, in particular the GC contenders, but I think probably on balance it's a, it's a good thing for the race. I don't, would, would you agree? Yeah, I think it it's it's different and it's therefore it creates interest and it was an exciting stage and ultimately that is the aim, is to create a race that is exciting. It's a spectacle and that's what we got today. So tomorrow, longest stage of the race, 175 kilometres would that be one of the longest stages of the, the year in women's peloton? Definitely, because um, the limit, the UCI limit in stage races is, uh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's 160k. Um, they, I know that they had to get like special dispensation from the UCI to let, to, for the stage to be that long. So, yeah, it's definitely one of the longest. I mean, it's not one of the longest single days of racing because, well, 
no, yeah, even the, some of the classics weren't that long, but they were pushing like 160K, which is still pretty long for a women's race. But yeah, this is definitely one of the longest days. But I think Marion Voss mentioned that as well today, saying that the women are more than capable of it. People are, yeah. you know, they train like this distance. Like, it's not as if, you know, no one's going to make it because of the length of it, especially given it's pretty flat. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anyone's doubting that you know, riders will be able to get through it. I wonder what it looks like tomorrow, though. What mm. sort of stage is it going to be? Because, you know, it could just be that it's, you know, brake gets up the road and it's pretty sedate stage until the last bit when well, the sprinters get involved. But That's exactly what happened when um, the Giro two years ago had a stage mm. around this length. Like, although it didn't come down to a sprint because it was a, a really steep um, uphill finish. Um but the two riders who were in the break pretty much all day got to the finish and it was won by Lizzie Banks. Mm. Um, and she herself, even after the stage, was saying, like, that was a pretty boring day. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is too long. So, yeah, I think it's basically, it is just going to be, well, it's, what's the Tour de France without, a, you know, a, ma a, a transition, transition stage, stage. Yeah. that makes you fall asleep until the very end? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, either way, I think the finish is going to be pretty great we'll see the sprinters come out and play again um looks like a day for Webus, you would have to think but yeah it's interesting to i'll be yeah i'd like to see exactly what some of these little lumps that we can see on the profile are actually like because given how she was climbing today which was like a knackered lift <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know if she'll even get over them i mean yeah she seemed pretty tired today mm. i would say yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see that for sure. Um, and then after that, it's not long until we'll be in the mountains. No, already. Yeah, it feels like we're halfway through the race already. Yeah, we are. And uh, it feels like it's gone really fast. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll be back with more tomorrow. Yep. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Freewheeling Podcast. We will be back tomorrow to talk about Stage 5. If you want to see what Stage 5 has to offer, check out cyclingtips.com. I write daily previews for every single stage that includes who to look out for, what is the ex what the exciting bits of the stage will be, and everything you need to know. Mm -hmm.